Like you're an artist. Like that is your art. That is what you spend all day doing. The thing that brings you a lot of joy. Your ikigai is the thing that you're always trying to improve, hone in on, make better. And you provide that service for other people. So I think I was able to look at the darkness of what we do, of what I do, the practice, the self-loathing. And I was able to understand that if I endure this darkness and go get through this darkness, what I can provide to other people will be so much more beautiful because I took the time to really fight that battle. everybody to the oh, you caught me while i was yawning thinking those podcasts no guests today no guests no guest. today it's just us it's a sleepy episode where we uh we talk about our shadows and how that's actually like a really important aspect of ourselves and how that is the channel uh through which you you make your art Instead of trying to get rid of the dark sides of yourself, those things you really dislike about yourself that are preventing you from moving forward, trying to make them part of what you want to do, having a conversation with your shadow. We, we try to tackle and dig into the stress of what it's like to try to be the best. When you're surrounded by some of the people who are the best and the pressure that brings on yourself and how that affects your daily life, we really try to dig into that. You're right, Trevor. And I think we tell it in a way that's like, not your typical woo woo. Now breathe in and, 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 and breathe out and forgive yourself. You know, you don't have to like that. That's not what it is. We just talk about our personal feelings from our past, uh, stories of like when we were kids. Um, I give a brief context on what it was like to just like play viola. Being a violist is tough. Even John Oliver be clowning on you. So <laughs> shout out to Isabel Hagen, Faking Fam. She uh, did a wonderful internet video talking about uh, her Jimmy Fallon appearance and how she made a viola joke and felt she needed to apologize to uh, the, you know, the world's violists. So, Hilarious video. I love it. You should check it out. Okay, Faking Fam, if you're listening... We're trying to grow this family. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with some friends and give it a rating. Please. And five stars is only accepted here. I'm sorry. Four stars just will not do. We don't um, accept those. We reject We those. don't accept that. Uh, we, we need you to bring an itemized receipt. And even then, <laughs> we don't give receipts. So you know where this is going. But like, for real, I think your, your feedback is our oxygen. We love the DMs. We love the, uh, the, the emails. But uh, if you really like it, drop us a rating and and a, and a review. We want to know what sort of things you really get the most out of this, what we can give you more of, and uh, what are some things that we may not have tried that you would like us to try. So uh, thank you so much for listening. You guys really are the best. Enjoy. Oh, you now save word for word what you said before and now be very and now be very philosophical introspective on the spot you know the stress of like trying to be something or trying to like create something 
it like fundamentally makes me feel like I don't know. It it makes me step out, like live outside of my body kind of it. And like, it makes me have trouble being thankful for the crazy things that are happening in my life and the wonderful things. And, uh, I think it's important to have, like, I just don't have time to rest, bro. Ever. That just talking about our, our shared experience with, uh, said famous <laughs> ladies and prophylactics, you know what I'm saying? So, Drew and I, we peaked pretty early. We were yeah. extra, we were extras on the Ellen show. And my favorite part about this story, for those who didn't hear it uh, a year ago, there's some big name celebrities, Kristen yeah. Bell, mm-hmm. Jennifer Gardner, mm-hmm. and others. Mm-hmm. And due to some convenient circumstances, we were selected as premier extras npcs extras we were we were just yeah, we were in the, the background we were like the dude on the side of the road who's like hey would you like to buy a sword for 200 gold <laughs> but my favorite part about this is so drew and i were like hey we're gonna hang out we sit in the background we're fed some food the setting was a restaurant mm-hmm. and i assumed we'd be in the background me and him would be chatting up of course mm-hmm. we get there there's six extras so this is an elite <laughs> elite team of trained nobodies and you know, (laughs) they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. And my favorite part about it is they're, they're setting us around this restaurant scene, you know, they're, they're angling it, trying to make it feel filled and be natural. And so they set me and drew down. We're right in line with the camera. This is it. We are in frame with Kristen Bell, Jennifer Gardner. Mm -hmm. Big moment, big moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could we uh, could we uh, move uh, move him out of the? And so I get moved. And <laughs> so I get moved, like literally the farthest away. So like, not even in the shot. You were at the so bar. You could squint, and it's the back <laughs> of my head at the bar on like the third camera. And Drew is moved around face first, camera A, right there in shot. They even zoom in on his reactions to what's happening. <laughs> I need Funniest to see that thing. clip. I need to see that clip, man. It's been a minute. It's just, it was inevitable. Yeah. They're like, ooh, like something's just not right about this shot. Could we take that guy and like literally get him out of here? (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe they did you like that, bro. It was so funny though. The Uh, food was delicious. My favorite part was, I I mean, you're sitting there getting to read and like looking amazing on camera and reactions. I at least was at the bar. So I got free food and I just talked to the makeup artist the whole time. They had her in as an extra. So we hung out. I was... But also, I was so far away, they were not worrying about me interfering with the microphones. They're like, eh. <laughs> you can I talk. love it. So back of my head. I couldn't talk to anybody. I could be a, a back of head model, like in a distance, like a distance back of head model. Bro, you'd make me buy some like hair gel. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what would that be used for? Somebody back of somebody's head? What kind of advertising? Ne- well, next to like a really, like like in a cologne commercial next to like this really hot girl your face doesn't matter it's the cologne right and it's just her back of my head it's her sniffing the the nape of your neck but the important part is is that i'm in the distance so like i'm kind of just like fuzzy (laughs) fuzzy thing and i'm really kind of like you know upper right hand corner the part nobody looks at fun experience but speaking of the stress of trying to be something i was talking about this too with our dear friend and fellow faking fan member john hong oh yeah john john he's just of course a bucket of wisdom yeah and he mentioned that too as we get 
into our thirties, and some oh, of us are God, getting very dude. close. Some of us, are, <laughs> some of us are getting very close. Uh, he said he realized, you know, we don't have to be the best at everything. Like sometimes it's okay to not be the best and to accept that. Wait, I don't need to like know the ins and outs of every single thing I do, mm-hmm. and also. I don't have to like hold myself to the standard that ev- what everything I do that I will have to be the best at or that this is this is the beginning of the path to mastery of this particular subject. Sometimes it's fine to just n- not know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to sit back and really remove the stress of trying to be the best, which kind of goes against all of our training. Everything. Dude, yeah. like <laughs> I'm wearing my Juilliard hoodie right now. Do you understand how the uncool this perspective is to me? Like, <laughs> I want to win. You have to be the best. If you're not the best, then what are you? Right. And I think that's like something that's baked into our DNA. And just like as a kid, like starting an instrument super young, you know, trying to, everybody's making fun of you doing your instrument. You play the viola. You know, you yeah, play the clarinet and the bassoon. The bassoon. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, you get clowned on for just doing something you like to do. So first of all, to maybe mitigate that crushing blow, it's like, I need to be the best at this. At least I'll be the best nerd. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But then you realize that's not enough, man. And I think like my perspective is like, I I don't want to be the best violist and I don't need to be, I just want to be good enough for me and always growing. And then I'll be happy or, and we'll, Doing that will make me happy. But then at the end of the day, like I'm, I've been learning photography and videography, content, marketing. You're right. There's so many rabbit holes you can just fall into and try to learn the ins and outs too. But when you do all that, you just miss the action. And then it just becomes like, how much time do you have in your day? Like, what do you really want to be doing? So I've been like, whoa, okay. What is balance? <laughs> <laughs> It's been really fascinating, I guess, for both of us mm-hmm. to see how long it took to have that realization of, I don't even want to be the best. Mm-hmm. I think it was because we're also surrounded by so many people and we're in a system that strives for this best, this ideal, this perfection. It's setting you up to go through that. And, and it's conditioning you to think that is what you want to which is, I think, a little different than how it's going to pan out in reality. I think I, re- I received a lot of comfort realizing that I, I don't even want to be the best. It's not mm. like I don't know how to be the best. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the best. We are surrounded by the best. We, mm-hmm. are pri- we are privileged to actually know the best, Like, let alone that's an amazing thing too, to, <laughs> to know these people who are getting the best awards, who are some of the best people on the planet, and to, and to be able to call them up, hit them up, see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I beat myself up all through undergrad, all through graduate school, and beyond mm-hmm. up until the past recent year or so. It's like, why am I not good? And it's like, why am I not the best at this? Why am I not receiving external accolades? Yeah. And, and why am I not getting validation? Yeah. And yeah. I beat myself up, but... Similar to it's like, wait, I, I literally don't do the things I know it would take to be the best. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't be angry at that because I also don't want to do those things. And I don't want the, 
I don't want the input and I don't want the output of this. I'm not even trying to be the best. Mm-hmm. How could I be angry with myself if I'm not it's, setting it's up my day? It's not productive, right? It's, it's not productive. If I set up my structure of the structure of my day to where I was practicing several hours a day and I did this for five years and things weren't happening, it would make more sense that I'd be upset. But I literally don't do the things it takes to be the best composer. Mm-hmm. And I literally don't want to do those things. I don't want to sit in the room all alone. I realized that I like the combination. I like learning the new things, the generalist specialist, like what you were just mentioning. I like going out, taking a little bit here, learn a little bit from there, and being the best combination. And I like collaborating with people. I like surrounding myself with the best. Mm-hmm. And like that's what I want to be the best at, <laughs> yeah. is to be around, uh, around the best, um, to help them with what they're missing, with what their blind spots are. Mm-hmm. And it looks like for both of us, through this pod, through our business ventures, which is our recent collaboration, Mm -hmm. through all these people, I'm trying to use my general specialist interest to add value to them. So when I'm working on a project, a a film score, and it's, say, a Motown comedy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just a direct example of what I've done, went out and found people who were very skilled and knowledgeable in that area, in songwriting, in the Motown sound, and then brought them in, worked with them, collaborated with them seriously because they didn't know the particulars of what it goes into making a film score. The schedule, the file management, how to write against picture, how to make it all work, how to make sense of a narrative and not just an album. These other things, bringing in other skills, but... The combination is what was amazing. So it just took forever for me to realize that it's okay to not be the best. I don't want to be the best. I'm not doing the things to be the best. So what am I doing? Working with people. I'm going to be a challenger. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be cha- <laughs> I just want to be challenger. You know what I'm saying? Trying to be top 50 in the world. Okay. It's <laughs> funny. I, wanna, I just want to pwn noobs. I just want to pwn all the noobs. And this is really funny. Can I give a little bit of my, I'm a little different than you, but we're more the same than different. For me, I want to be among the best because I have the most fun doing the thing. Like practicing is fun for me. Like that's, that's kind of weird for people. Like I hate, I, I hate practicing things that I don't like playing, but things that I do like playing, I, I could do it all day. I could do it all day. And I think for me, I I figured out, at least I had that maybe com- composition moment for you where you were like, you know, I don't want, I don't need to be the best at this, right? Like, I like this in this specific silo in my life, which isn't the profession. It's it's just, it's it's my art, but it's not like the thing that I wake up and need to be doing every day. I feel that way about video games. So in my deep Mm. dive into competitive gaming during college, I would always, losing always felt really bad. (laughs) And I really hated it. But at the end of the day, I felt like I would rather lose at this than lose at viola. (laughs) And so, no, for real. And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, 
so what, nerd? Like, I don't need this. <laughs> like, I, so what if you just clowned on me? Like, in Apex Legends, it doesn't matter because, like, the game that I really like is music. And so that was really educational for me. And I think that if if you're out there faking famine, you're doing something that's, like, fun for you, that you really enjoy, but you're not willing to wake up at six in the morning and practice your thumbstick <laughs> technique. If you're not going to work on your, your, your mouse hand, the aiming, if you're not going to do the fundamentals and really practice at a granular level, that may not be something that you are going to be able to compete with other people at a professional level. And that's okay. Professional level is just, I don't know. Have you, have you heard about the Ikigai? No. It's a Japanese philosophy and I really need to get my journal uh, so I can illustrate it. Cause I drew it all out for you. Can I, can I go yes. grab that real quick? Grab oh, it. Here. Grab oh, it. Right. Yeah, this is important. Okay. 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 So in this pursuit of like understanding and, and knowledge and growth in 2020, I've rediscovered this concept of Ikigai. It's like a Japanese philosophy where it purports that you compartmentalize the different things you do in your life into one of four buckets. And sometimes those buckets, they will overlap. It looks like a really crazy, super hyper uh, Venn diagram. Whoa. So essentially it's four. And if you're listening to a podcast, so like, what is that going to mean? <laughs> but imagine four circles that are overlapping each other, like a Venn diagram. And in the middle is your Ikigai. So whatever the Ikigai is like your main directive where you feel most fulfilled and happy in life. Like, what do you really want to do? And it has an element of all of these four different buckets. Okay. The first bucket is what you love. What do you love to do? Right. Another bucket says, what does the world need? Right. The third bucket can be like, what can you be paid for? Cause that's important. Hmm. And then the fourth one is like, what are you good at? And if you can do something or if you have something in your life, that is your ikigai, it has all four of those elements. What you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you are good at. That is your ikigai. And so uh, they there are also four different sectors where two of the circles overlap, but they don't overlap with the other two. So for instance, what you love and what the world needs is your mission. That's your mission what you love and what the world needs. Uh, your <laughs> That's also what a Bert Baccarat song. What the world needs is love, sweet love. <laughs> oh my gosh. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. That's your mission. You got to oh, deliver, man. deliver what you love to the world, right? Um, your vocation and what the world needs is what you can be paid for. Right. So um, do you have a vocation? Or have you felt that, or you, do you have something that fits that for you, Trevor? A vocation or a mission? In music education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And particularly on the business side, like what I do now. Mm -hmm. Oversight and management of assets. There you, look, man. 
You're already you're already close. All right, let's go. Let's go. So what you can be fa- paid for and what you're good at. What are you good at? You're good at systematizing. You're good at speed run. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at lazy. I'm trying to reduce energy spend. Man, I am just bad at lazy. So I'm I just I just suffer. I just push through it if it's inefficient. I just like whatever. We're just No, that's 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 my problem is that it's the input and output just doesn't align. I'm always, always tired, always busy. Mm-hmm. And so then I operate at 60% all day, which is not, not good. So I'm trying to find ways. Really, and it's hard to manufacture more energy. So I think it'd be easier to reduce energy spend. It's similar to finance. Everyone's, you know, we're always trying to work. How can I increase my capital? How can I increase my capital? When the easier thing you you often can do is reduce spend, spend. less, spend less, yeah, yeah, shout maybe not credit. Shout, shout out Winton. Also, minority mindset. My boy Josh Breet Singh. I've been watching him for almost an entire year now. Like I've learned so much about money and just how money works from him and from Graham Stephan, Andre Jick, uh, Jake Tran. There's so many great creators out there that are really getting me up on it. So uh, what you're good at and what you love is your passion. So what, what do I love? What, you, what do you love, man? What's, what, what are you good at and what do you love? I love chips. <laughs> so you got to make an chips. educational program that allows you to eat chips <laughs> like maybe i teach guy. people chip eating technique no what i love is i like that what we mentioned earlier really like community and collaboration my ideal my ideal life would be to constantly be talking to other artists and helping them out with their projects so I realize I'm not super interested in spearheading everything. I just don't have the energy and I'm not at my best. So I've never, I've never really drew, drew a lot of interest from like, oh, here's this idea. I want to be the head honcho and I want to drive this thing. I really like this kind of co-founder collaborator position to where I know what I'm good at. I also know what fuels me and what I'm interested in. Let me do that for you. And here, here's how much time it's going to take. Here's the percentage of like how much I want to be involved. So that way I can, in an investment sense, I can have my hand in five things and kind of whichever horse takes off is great. But that's it's not just about a cover my, cover my ass situation. Although that's in like an, you're hedging, an you're hedging your bets, bro. It's, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's part of it's some degree of it's that uh, I'm not getting too drawn into the horse one, one cart. But also, that's how I operate best, too. When I start putting in more than 30 hours or something, basically when I get to full-time, mm-hmm. I'm not operating at full-time hours or full-time value. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever really could with one job. I'm Because of, I don't know if it's like an ADHD mind or something else. If I'm spreading out 10 hours here, 10 hours here, 10 hours here, it's like everyone can get the full 10 hours. But mm-hmm. if I'm doing 50 hours on one thing, you're not getting 50 full hours. I mm-hmm. By hopping around, it, it's mentally fatiguing. 
for me to do this. I'm still working on it. It's getting better, but I've slowly replaced different buckets with more fulfilling things. Mm-hmm. And they're all slightly different too. So I'm not mm-hmm. even hopping from doing exact same thing to exact same thing to exact same thing. And this fulfills me <clears throat> because it gets back to that variety. I get to collaborate and I just remove the staleness. I, this is just how my brain is working now. Mm-hmm. So collaborating in community, my idol work situation, uh, my idol like passion, my idol life would be to go into these rooms, interact with this group, say, hey, I, I like this idea, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs this, run into the next room. Oh, this is great. We should do this type of ad campaign. Awesome. Leave the room. Run in here. What an awesome idea. Leave that room. Go in there. Like, you want to do what? What the hell are you doing? Run in there. And then, how are you doing? How, oh, I haven't talked to you in a long time. Go to the other room. How are you doing? <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a long time. To be able to interact with people and foster this type of community. To make connections. Wait, this person, you need to talk to so-and-so. I'm not the right person for this. And so, like, I'm just now getting to the point to where, one, I realized that. Because in nothing I just mentioned involved me running away and writing music alone. That's not necessarily what fuels me. What fueled me in composition was interacting with the musicians, was interacting with the choreographer, was to talk about ideas, was to mm-hmm. see, it, see it there. And it doesn't mean I don't enjoy that process of composition, but I realize I always put off the creation side. I put off the practice. And I thought, I mean, to some degree, it's the consequence of perfection and fears and other things. But also, even when I do get to it, I'm just not as satisfied. Mm -hmm. It's only until I'm talking to someone about the art or what we vision or how they're just doing or just shooting the shit, a.k.a. this podcast. <laughs> That's when I'm at my happiest. Basically, I just want my whole life to be a podcast. So, <laughs> Look, dude, I think that's, for me, that, that was me too. When I was a kid, I was always getting in trouble for talking. Always, man. Like, uh, all I wanted to do, my favorite part of the day in school was not even the learning. I liked learning a lot because I'm a nerd. But I also just like talking to the other people. I liked recess a lot. Cause you, you got to, <laughs> I got to run around and just be like, be free. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what is your ideal life? Mm, for me, you know, I, that's part of the reason why I was like figuring out this Iggy guy thing. Cause I was like, man, I am so tired and I do so much stuff that I really, that really makes me unhappy. Like organizing. so for me i've written in the middle uh service music and viola like those are three of my like uh three things that like really bring me a lot of uh joy so whenever i perform that feels like service like i i like going to concerts but I like being on stage way more. A lot of people are like, let's go to a concert. I'm like, man. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, I guess, but I I want to be on stage. You know, like that. that's always been like my inclination. It's like, I'll go, but so I can learn. So I can learn how to do what I do better. Not for the sake of the enjoyment. It's like, I want to 
get better. I want to do that too. And I want to be better at what I do. So it's like, what can I learn from this person? You know? I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. Going to, I would go to so many concerts, but often it was one out of support for the artist on stage or the composer Mm -hmm. or two to learn to sit back. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like this piece, but I'm really there to like learn from this experience or to audience watch, which is one of my favorite things. I'm hearing a piece and, and I'm not looking at what's happening on stage. I'm looking at how people react. And it's interesting. It's really interesting. And there are artists that I would be like one of those audience members and be like fully in the music. Uh, Like if Tchaikovsky came back to life and he did the- Holograph Tchaikovsky. Please don't. (laughs) L.A. Phil, if you're listening, please don't. I know you're not listening, but don't do that. Please. I did a Roy Orbison show and it was- It's creepy, man. That is super creepy. These people aren't alive anymore. Okay? It's okay. Let's play their music, and then also let's celebrate people that are still with us. (laughs) (laughs) Who could show up. Don't have to project them. You can give them a hug if you want, If (laughs) post-COVID, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, (laughs) in short, man, performance, I think, but also part of the service is teaching. Uh, uh, part of the service is like education, like with music, with just getting through life, sharing my life experience. And hopefully, you know, a mistake that I made doesn't have to be a mistake somebody else makes. Uh, I think that's how we really learn and grow is from each other. And I, it's hard to share yourself, but I, I do the best I can. Uh, but this world's crazy too. So I'm like, okay, man, I don't want no stalkers. I don't want to know. It, it it can get really crazy when your when your megaphone gets bigger. So I'm watching that pressure that builds up, and it mm-hmm. and it also goes back to the opening statement of this episode: the stress of trying to be something, or the stress of trying to yeah. be the best. And I can't understand the pressure of celebrities. It's like we're all kind of going for that the appropriate amount of famous. whatever that is man yeah Yeah. i don't know i don't want to be i don't want to be lady god i think we we were on a uh we were on a a call talking about our business and i was like dude i don't want to be the kind of la famous some of these people are lady gaga's dog walker got shot bro like what People exactly. that work for you get hurt because of you because you're so famous. That's whoa, man. Oof, it's scary. I'm, yeah, I I don't want to. I'd never want to get to bodyguard fame. Like that's spooky to where you'd have to pay for protection. Uh, and it's it's a YouTubers it's a scary world. people showing up at their house. Man, that was a huge thing. Like mm. streamers getting swatted. Yeah. Those things, I looked at those as a content creator. I was like, ooh, ooh, do I want to go live today? Because I get called yeah. the N-word in the chat, and it's like, that's that doesn't hurt me. But like, the you know. SWAT team showing up? Yeah, like that's. Yeah, bro. And I'm black, dude. Come on. You saw what they did to Breonna Taylor. And insert. <laughs> 
hundreds of other names. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No knock warrants. Anyway, yeah, there's a black man who's yelling really loud because because he's streaming a video game, talking about he's gonna pop people in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps saying he's teabagging people. Like I don't even know what that is. That is that is teabagging like gang things or like. He's always in this red hoodie, man. Like, I think he's a blood. He, keep, yeah. <laughs> he keeps talking about, like, working on his bow arm. Is that, like, a weapon? You know, is the proper balance of the frog? Is that slang for... He, he hurts animals. It's a sign. <laughs> Viola, that must be a code for something. That's code for something, man. He's always wearing a case. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of video games, another thing I noticed too, there, there's so many parallels for me for, with video games mm-hmm. and with music. Mm-hmm. And so for both of which, for us nerds, I think what really drew me to music, honestly, is that reward system. Mm. Mm-hmm. I was particularly athletic. I'm only athletic by comparison to other classical musicians. <laughs> and, and once I leave, like, it's like, hey, let's play basketball. It's like, oh, well, like, Trevor's doing all right. Um, and then the moment, like, someone who is not a musician, you know, a business major walks up. Suddenly, I'm getting dunked on. I'm terrible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, not the not the most athletic, but not uh, entirely helpless. We're all on a spectrum. But, yeah, well, so, yeah somewhere on that spectrum is, is a great way to put it. But uh, with, with that, looking back at my life, like, I was – Barely good at school, but I was also lazy. I didn't want to do my homework, but I could always get A's. This is in, you know, 49th ranked North Carolina in education or whatever. I'd excel, I'd excel at school, but the only real awards I'd get were through music. That's the recognition. And I didn't really practice. My parents didn't know what to do with me. But I, I picked things up as well as you could without practicing or getting lessons. So I just did well for my small town. And I'd get feedback and appreciation and recognition and awards within music. And I think that's why part of why I hung around. And so uh, much of my adult life and the things we've covered in this conversation before kind of combating that. So I, I entered music um, with this expectation of awards and because it fueled me, I probably went and studied, not probably I went and studied music because I just didn't really, I hadn't really done anything else. And and not done anything else is like, oh, my life was all music. But I hadn't received like accolades outside music or recognition outside music. It's like, hey, I'm doing well at this thing. Like, let's pursue it. It's kind of where mm-hmm. composition came around. Was that fairly early on, I was getting awards for compositions. Mm-hmm. From the first piece onward. It was just, it was performing well. And I was getting more composition recognition than bassoon recognition. So I'm like, hey, let's follow this path. So it's really, it's, it's hands, the, the be better, the win awards, the external recognition. His hands are like really grained into my entire musical existence. Mm-hmm. But if I look back as well, mm-hmm. there's something else. It was, that's not entirely sustainable. Something else was going through that, that through line. Mm-hmm. and following me along with that journey. I started playing clarinet 
in this homeschool band in third grade because my friends were in this band. That's why I was there. My close friends, hey, he's learning trumpet. Uh, I want to join the band. What can I play? Mm-hmm. Hey, my friends are playing guitar and interested in guitar. I'm going to play guitar. All my friends are in marching band. I'm going to be a marching band. And when I had to select just bassoon in college, I, I missed all these other instruments. I miss working with other people. I'm going to be a composer. Mm. So parallel is this really negative external award validation simultaneously with, wait a minute. It's, it's, not in, it's not necessarily about the music for me. It's about the other people who I'm working with, who mm-hmm. I'm making music with. Yeah. What am I doing? So it is weird. It's, I just, it just took forever to realize that there was both a good thread and a bad thread throughout my entire journey. And like, how can I hammer out this bad <laughs> and enhance this good? I think, isn't that kind of like similar to how like we have, we all, our personalities have sh- have a shadow. You know, there's always the shadow of something you love, the shadow of like the thing you do, the person you love. Like, and I think we, we try to ignore the shadow. We try to like devalue it or pretend it, pretend it's not there, but it is valuable. It shows you a really clear, it grounds you. It grounds you really, and it's important to not ignore it. So like for me, yeah, the shadow is practice for what I do because it makes you have to look at yourself honestly, makes you have to look at what you're not good at and figure it out, right? And that is such a hard thing to do because as hard as we try, we musicians and instrumentalists have a hard time separating ourselves and our worth to our art because it's, we spend so much time doing it. Right. And so it's important to have a healthy distance. And that's why, like, I think developing other skills is really important because it it helps you understand that you're more than your instrument. You're more than your ability to, you are an artist and humans are spiritual beings. We're artists. We want to be like, even if you're not an artist, like anything that you, I heard Steven's press field on, um, uh, uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast yesterday. Cause I was cooking. Mm. So I listen to nerdy, <laughs> I, I listen to nerdy stuff. Uh, Steven Pressfield was like, he believes, and he's the guy who wrote the war of art book that I've referenced. Uh, in the past here, I have it on my, my desk right here. He talks about, it doesn't matter if you are strictly an artist, if you are like a contractor, a construction contractor, like you're an artist, like that is your art. That is what you spend all day doing. The thing that brings you a lot of joy, your guy, is the thing that you're always trying to improve, hone in on, make better. And you provide that service for other people. So I think, I was able to look at the darkness of what we do, of what I do, the practice, the self-loathing. And I was able to understand that if I endure this darkness and go get through this darkness, what I can provide to other people will be so much more beautiful because I took the time to really fight that battle 
motivation is a battle. You got to like get over yourself and be like, yeah, I'm going to do that now. You know, it could be as simple as brushing your teeth, making your bed, but they're, they're all mini battles with yourself. So I think like being more comfortable with like that necessary darkness to make your art better in the context of practice and self-improvement. And I think that's a really important distinction. The darkness that I feel is like just trying to be a better person, doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And that's hard, but that's necessary work, you know? So that's what I mean by that. That was beautiful. Um, it reminds me of my business coach, which I had for a couple yeah. months of last year, Angela Beeching, who mm-hmm. is a huge proponent uh, and advocate of Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. She's always recommending that. It's in her top two books for people to to purchase and read. And that's how I first got hip to that book. She's always talking about embracing the shadow and having mm. a conversation with your shadow. So when I said I needed to like squash this the external validation, that's probably the incorrect, not probably, that is the incorrect way to talk about it it's more of literally setting down in the chair having a conversation with your shadow with your darkness with the things you don't like about you Mm -hmm. because trying to suppress it it's not going to work it's going to fester you're never going to overcome these things Mm -hmm. so i'm glad you brought it up because i always forget about that that i need to engage with the things i might not like about myself or engage with perfectionism or fears or jealousy or whatever sit down and be like Yo, bro, what the fuck? Like, let's talk about this. And I think what they're really trying to advocate too is it's not just about mental games or mental frameworks, but it's like you want to look at those things you might not like about yourself, the darkness. It's part of you too. Yeah. It's fueling. You cannot, why we call it the shadow is you can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's always there. Even when the light changes and it might be reduced, there is always going to be uh, a shadow and it's going to follow you everywhere. And so you need to bring it along. You're not separating yourself from your shadow. Bring it along. Have your shadow work for you. Be like, hey, I know you don't want to do this, but this is going to be good for us. <laughs> you're not going to sit around doing yeah. nothing. You're going to work for me. It's like by being, <laughs> a, yeah, like you're going to, this, yeah, like you're living, you're living in my head rent free. You're living in my shadow rent free. Come on, man. Ain't no no such thing as free real estate. <laughs> and, and it's true because it's like, hey, Shadow, I know you love external validation. Here's the deal. If we stop procrastinating, you can get more awards. You can we'll get, get more of it. You can get more <laughs> of it, dude. I'll give you a cut. I'll give you a cut. You'll get a, get a sweet cut. But yeah, it's just so I'm, I'm glad you brought up the concept of the Shadow because I, I, I don't think I've fully ingrained the idea of having that conversation as much because I forget about it time to time, but it is a nice, beautiful thing to consider to have as part of your life. And a lot of other systems, um, like the Ikigai, uh, that kind of bring in this element to just having serious conversations with yourself and not trying to suppress and not trying to be the best but to just have honest conversations with yourself, overcoming yourself, getting out of your own way. People think it's weird. I, I Look, you have to talk to yourself. You have to talk to yourself. Like, and 
if you live with people, maybe don't like do it out loud. <laughs> Journaling's good. But if you're by yourself, be like, okay, Drew. Okay, Trevor. It doesn't matter. Okay, Drew. Why are you sad? You know? Oh, you haven't eaten yet? Why don't you go eat? Cause what the fuck? Come on, man. You a human. <laughs> like, exercise, bro. Bro, have you worked out today? Did you go running yesterday? You didn't go running yesterday. Is that why you're sad? You need to get out there. And then I do it. And then I'm much happier. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, I took care of myself. I'm taking care of myself. I must love myself. Okay, since I love myself, I need to go out there and like help other people. And You have to do that loop. But if you don't take care of yourself, you're never going to have the capacity to do anything else for anybody anybody else and if you were a musician out there if you were an artist out there and you want to make the world a little bit better you have to start with yourself when the airplane is going to crash (laughs) and we're going down what do they say put your mask on first and it's not out of uh save your own and then you know stick your head between your your legs and kiss your ass goodbye yeah uh like no 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 they want the mask on you first because then you're able to put more masks on more people and help those who aren't able to put on their own mask. It's it's effective altruism. If you give away every single dime and dollar you have, Drew, right now, every dollar in the bank, if you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to sell off all my worldly possessions, I'm going to give it all away um, to these organizations. That is not as useful as if you took care of yourself. I need enough for me to sustain and everything for the rest of my life. I'm going to trim off the top and donate that. That is more net good you could be providing to other people. Effective altruism. Put your mask on first. And mm-hmm. I think another thing working with Angela Beach and the business coach was a lot of things thinking about that as well from a financial perspective, from a work, from a life perspective. Is that you should, you know, she'd encourage people, you should be charging more and have less students so you can better serve those students. And you could be able to have more initiatives that, such as recording courses and releasing that. You will be able to hit more students, teach more. Don't hit your students. You'll be able to <laughs> teach more students. What's that, Jimmy? Uh, whiplash. She said, she said hit my students. Come on. But uh, <laughs> you'll be able to reach more people if you go through these mechanisms and be more effective in your future life because you'll be in a better mental state. You'll be less exhausted. You'll be able to provide more value. Mm-hmm. The other thing you highlighted that I just wanted to really underscore and hit home, service. Mm-hmm. Service should be at the center. Try to make service at the center of your ikigai, always. And it is the top one, bro. When I wasn't as prolific or I wasn't writing music or I wasn't as happy or something else, I always made it about me. <laughs> Why am I not doing this? I'd be happy if I wrote this. I need to get this off. I'm stressed. I just want this out of the line. Here's the done. And what Angela always advocated for is like, the problem, you know, why you're not doing this thing is because you're not doing it because you're making it about you. And you might not always like you. So that's a double-edged sword. If you don't like you, you're sure as hell not going to do stuff for you. So it true. Feels selfish. It feels selfish so to work true. on yourself. But she's like, no, no, it's, it is it is counterintuitive. You need to work on yourself to put yourself in a better position 
so that you can be of service to others. Drew, when and you record time. your videos mm-hmm. and you're, you're recording uh, the Bach cello suites and something, mm-hmm. releasing that to other people makes them feel good. You're providing them something that is an act of service. So like in my mental framework, it's like, oh, I got to release my video when it's me recording and mm-hmm. stuff. But like, no, no, no. Releasing it for them. Like mm-hmm. who knows who that might inspire? Like, wait a minute. Is this guy playing the cello suites on the viola? I've heard these. I love these. I'm young. Maybe I'll play this instrument. Like we don't know. But by making things an act of service, even things that might seem selfish, like working on your own website. Like, oh, well, why am I not out, you know, feeding the poor or something? I'm working on my stupid website. But if you can position it for other people, and this is an investment in me now to better put myself in a position to serve others later, Mm -hmm. that is how I motivate myself now to do these other businesses. It might Mm -hmm. seem selfish. It's like, wait, this could be, this might be profitable, which is nice. But also, if this idea works, if we survive the first couple of years of the grind and figuring it out, this could help other people. And that's why I want to be a part of it. Bro, the whole point of going on the ship, and thank you for highlighting all that, for real. Um, I think I've learned from, maybe it was Think and Grow Rich or something, that you... The money that you make, it needs to go back into you. You got to pay yourself first in some way. And that's often education. So a big reason for my shift in energy with social media was because I realized, okay, I'm spending all this time doing all of this service and I don't have enough time for me. Like I'm, I'm gaining weight. Um, my sleep apnea is getting worse. I'm having all this crazy mental fog. I'm not happy. I can't have a, I don't have any healthy relationships in my life. Don't have any friendships really. Never see my friends because I'm always editing, always filming, always making the shit for myself, right? And then I got on a ship and I was like, okay, I need to free up more time for myself so I Mm -hmm. can like maybe take fewer gigs. So I read a lot of books. I spent a lot of money on books and still do. And I, I was like, maybe if I'm a consultant, I could consult people on stuff so they don't have to read the books so they can get the gems and then move forward with their lives, right? In turn, free up time for myself. That is starting to come to fruition. I'm very thankful. So I'm trying to get to a point where I have enough freedom, as in money, to buy all my time back so I can really get back to a life of just playing my instrument, making music, because it's hard in this capitalist system to really derive value from the art. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter who you are. If you're not employed as an artist, you are hurt by the fact people can't get together anymore financially. So um, hopefully I can change some of that in the future. This podcast was a really huge step for me. Hopefully for you too, Trevor. Like just helping people get through this crazy pipe dream of being an artist and trying to make <laughs> make a decent living off of it. I mean, absolutely. It seems every couple episodes I rebring up just the value of what this podcast did for me in my life was mm-hmm. just to have someone else, a life raft, a battle buddy, to push <laughs> through 
the insaneness of this industry because we we do see the highlight reel for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's super deceptive. We don't see the there's this grind exhaustion. Everyone's grinding, but yet some st- some people still aren't making it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, becoming an adult, but still trying to do the pipe dream that is the artist life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm really happy when listeners reach out and they say things along these lines, like, "Oh, mm-hmm. just thanks for like talking about this openly." Mm-hmm. And to some degree, we're talking to our shadows on this show and trying to work it out in public, hopefully as an example or as a guide or as consulting them on how to talk to them, <laughs> how to talk to their shadows. But it is true. There's, yeah. there's tons of people like you and I too, who are out here either switching around what they're doing within the music field, switching careers, some by choice, some by some against their will so to speak yeah necessity is the right word Mm -hmm. (laughs) against their will (laughs) against their will that's true too uh but no by Mm -hmm. by necessity and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. the key thing we just try to get across at least for me is that that's okay you were never told that was okay music school is not set up to tell you to not do music and i don't think it's necessarily what they're supposed to do you know you're 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 paying to learn this thing Mm -hmm. um but it is okay in fact it's better than okay sometimes it's encouraged sometimes the best thing you can do is to go do something else to follow your passion in this world tying this back in to video games you mentioned it at the outset of this episode i love video games me too very similar to music there's a reward system there's loot boxes there Mm -hmm. (laughs) ea's there we have the ea sports of we have EA coming in here and the various mm-hmm. music industries taking money. Mm-hmm. Okay, the music academia and festival circuits. You can get good. It's competitive. When I stopped playing video games for many years and have since returned to it from more like wholesome playing the indie games, the creative video games, trying to embrace an experience instead of just beating a game. Mm-hmm. But when I stopped, one, it was I was putting too many hours into it. I realized the addictive nature of it. It was seven hours a day. Just Oh yeah, man. Through a full through a full summer. But what I noticed, what really made me stop was my friends stopped playing. Yep. And also the types of games. So why Call of Duty was so fun? Is it smart? I mean, this is psychology too. The kill cams. The things at the end of the game, having playing search and destroy to where your friends are watching you have to play. You're watching them. You're working as a team was the most adrenaline fun thing you could ever have. It's and when best. like Battlefield or something, a game where you you're on the same team, but you never see what someone else is doing really mm-hmm. or from their perspective or what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. I stopped. I, I, I lost interest. The awards, the kicks, the things that kept me going were gone. What I really loved about video games was playing with friends. So it all came back Always. to collaboration anyways. Not just Always. that. It wasn't even about like winning with the friends. Sometimes, you know, you'd go try hard mode and you get an 113 win streak and like search and destroy because you're at an advantage working with others. Just clearly something I realized. Mm-hmm. So working together was a huge advantage. It was way more fun keeping the streak alive. But also goofing off 
<laughs> I was like joking around in life. And so playing in Call of Duty or whatever, when you're comfortable in your skill level, it's like, hey, I'm really good at this. Um, I do really well. The stats are there. The wins are there. It's fun. I feel confident in this. Instead of just trying to ramp up your kill to death ratio or whatever and like, oh, like I just need to bump up this like random stat for no reason. What we all started to do after, you know, a few years of Call of Duties, it's just in a group, just goofing off. Like, hey, everyone, do this really dumb thing. We're all wearing riot shields. Or like everyone, 360 no scope. Spin around with the sniper, don't zoom in. And Or everyone, it's C4 only. Or only throwing knives. In like a high stakes game. Where it's all teams. If you die, you're out. And you got to watch the and other. And you got to watch the other people play. Yeah. But it was so fun to just be able to talk. And for instance, for, for those who don't know, like when you die on this game, in this mode, mm-hmm. You can only talk to the other people who are dead on your team. So yeah. you're all sitting there watching, you know, your friend, the adrenaline, the one person left alive. There's three on the other team. You're like, what is he doing? They're listening talking to footsteps. You're they're talking like trash. To, yeah, you're they're, talking and they're trash. panicking yeah. mm-hmm. because they know they that know. five of their friends are like, oh, Watch all it. five of my friends are watching me. Yeah. And it's on me to like win this thing. And there's something so fun about that. And adding in an extra layer of like, hey, let's goof off. Like we're just going to stand in the middle of the map and like shoot and like let everyone know where I'm at and just digging around, still winning, but like the camaraderie of it, that's what kept me with video games. And the moment a couple of my friends stopped playing, I lost all interest. It was soulless playing the games. I don't really play unless my friends hit me. So if Brian King Joseph hits me up and is like, yo, want to spar? We get on Smash and we throw down. It's like, it's so much fun. And it's, it's, in a way, in anime, I wanted to actually acknowledge a couple of things. For those of you who've never watched Naruto or never watched Shonen anime, Naruto, during his whole career, his whole life, essentially, grew up an orphan and was hated by the entire village. And his one desire was to be acknowledged as a member of his society, as a member of somebody who was valuable, who was worth it, who, who was worth love. Right. It, and it's heart wrenching because you just see for years he struggles looking for that. He gets little wins. But that's a personification of all of us. We all want to be acknowledged, like as as somebody worthy, as somebody loved, as somebody essential to the fabric of our society, right? And then the other thing just talks about how, you know, it may not just be Naruto, but in fighting fighting shows and things that I've watched from, from Asia, there's always this conversation of like, when you fight with somebody, you begin to understand them. Mm. You get to see them as not only somebody who's different, but somebody who's also connected to you, somebody who's very, very similar to you. And I think that, you know, when we play games together with other humans, we really get connected to this desire to win, which is universal in all of us. And then we have to exercise what happens if we lose or what happens if we win. And How do we treat others in our triumphs and in our defeats? You're like playing Super Smash Brothers. You realize it's like chess. You move here, your opponent responds. If your opponent responds incorrectly and you think ahead of them, you can crush them. But 
if you don't take a moment to think about what your opponent is going to do or what other people are thinking, if you don't have empathy, you're never going to succeed because the person who has the most empathy wins, honestly. And that's one thing I'm really learning. Like if you can really understand your counterpart well, you can give them exactly what they need in understanding that we all struggle, that we're all fighting. You can understand that failure is, is just a part of it and that, you know, you don't, you'll never win all of them. That's okay. You've touched on so many important and valuable little nuggets there. What makes a good villain in a movie? Mm. Always, let's use Black Panther, for example. Okay. What makes a good villain is one that you can relate to why they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That you understand what they're doing. That you're not seeing necessarily what they're doing is evil. It might be a disagreement. And that you can root for that enemy. Michael B. Jordan, you understand why he's doing it. You understand how he got there. And you can relate to that. Whenever a show or a movie or a book makes a villain too evil, we don't really like it. Like, or comically so. Yeah. Why are they laughing? What's funny? <laughs> it's like, oh, they just like turn crazy. Like we don't know that. We might not know the backstory mm-hmm. or it, it might be too far of a stretch. But we don't really do a, it, it's hard to attach ourselves to pure evil because it, we can't really relate to it. But if we see how someone got there and it might just be a disagreement, if you find yourself falling in love with the villain, odds are that whole experience, the whole movie is going to be much better. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel better. Um, so to some degree, it's, it's like our shadows. It's embracing the shadow. If we understand. Mm-hmm like how our shadow got to that point and how we need to work together. Think of <laughs> the sequels to those shows. When the bad guy Loki comes in and joins your team. Yeah. Like there's something special about that of turning an enemy into a partner, bringing them along for the journey to fight the greater enemy. Vegeta. Yeah. Vegeta. <laughs> there we Literally, go. Literally. That's all. You, this- <laughs> is Vegeta. Life is just Dragon Ball Z. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I feel bad because you touched on so many things. I should have. I was just worried, bro. Notes. I was just word vomiting, like for real. Like I think, yeah, the acknowledgement. What did you think about acknowledgement? Acknowledgement of the enemy? No, just in general, like we as humans, like as artists, like we just want to like when you're a kid and you're in studio class and all your friends go up and they play. And they sound great. And then you go up and you, you want, you want to get the praise. You want to be like, Oh, I did good too. Right. But then you mess up. You have a memory slip. You have a catastrophic Mm -hmm. error. And people are like, it's okay, sweetie. It's fine. I know you messed up. I was there. I (laughs) I was there, bro. First hashtag first. First. Exactly. It's the, and the public acknowledgement of your mistake really sucks. Like, so it's like we want this acknowledgement, but we only want the good stuff, right? We don't want our negatives acknowledged either. I, I don't know, man. I think that's part of the hits you got to take when you're at war, right? One thing about this is that things have changed recently. If we look at all these composers in the past, their opus ones, the first thing they really claim 
or late twenties, some even first. early thirties. That's not the first. There are hundreds of things in there. But the systems that they've set up that led them there, or that that we interact with now, all of our first drafts are often public. There's value in that. You can learn quicker. You can get instant feedback. But the negative side is the negative side. You can get beat up about that rough draft. In the old you days, you call that a picture. Yeah. Ah. Like they might be getting feedback on it. What do they do? They just burn the manuscripts. The piece never existed. No one can find it. Brahms. And then they're starting from a much further on place. They didn't have to deal with the global reach and the engagement with an audience to the degree we have to do it now early. So it mm-hmm. is a two-sided mm-hmm. coin. Mm-hmm. Getting feedback, great. Getting all these teachers in on it, great. That's, that's why so many people are advancing so much further uh, artistically, technically. Yeah. Faster. Faster. Because the educational systems have evolved. And part of that is feedback. That's how we grow. But the negative side of that is the depression, is the perfectionism. Because suddenly your first draft is on display and might not ever be removed from the internet. It could be out there forever. People will still stumble across your first videos. And then they're going to see the truth. Isn't the truth better? I think it's good. Yeah. I save. I have a folder. On my desktop, I, I save every composition from the very first ones, even the mm-hmm. horrible ones, so that when a student comes to me and they're down, like, "Hey, this isn't good," be like, "Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> my first stuff's trash. Yeah. Know, like, this is terrible. Like, look at this. I thought this was a great idea. This is mm-hmm. stupid." Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, we all have to get there. So, yeah, I, I think the positives outweigh the negatives, but we do need to talk about the negatives. People are getting. Little fifteen-year-olds, they don't know any. They don't know anything yet, even though they are incredibly advanced. But like, they'll put something out there, and they're just getting shredded by shredded. horrendous people who are dropping in comments and be like, "Yo, they're beginning their journey. Like, stop holding them up to these this perfectionist mantle. Like, let them let them figure it out." And it doesn't even matter if you're perfect. Like, if they want to come for you, they'll come for you. That Bach thing I did, mm-hmm. I had a person, and I hate giving negative comments any real estate in my mind. But I hadn't really posted in a while. So I was like, I'm, I got to build up that armor. This person, all they made was a comment about like how I make faces when I play. I saw that. This is not like new feedback either. So it's like, okay, really? I like your face. Just give me something that I can actually do. Cause like, I can't control my face. I'm sorry. But I think that, when you're putting stuff out publicly, you have to also like build out that armor, but it's like this crazy bait and switch, right? Cause it's like, you need to put yourself out publicly if you want to play publicly. So it's like, if you want to make money as an artist, you have to have your stuff up for criticism. And that's actually something mm-hmm. that I'm learning that I think I learned very early on. It was like, look, why am I in school waiting for permission to put my art up for public criticism when my whole life is going to be predicated on that? You know, henceforth, I probably better get used to it. Right. So that's like something I try to, I've tried to perpetuate with play homie play. It's like, look, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to get it as good as you want it. You just play homie play is just like that thing you say when you're just going to go out there and do your best and move forward, learn from it, keep moving forward. And I, I'm really happy to, that I've been doing it for so long 
and I'm getting better because it's really adding credence to that philosophy. I think it's the only way for us to like have a healthy music community where we are all comfortable in sharing the fact that we practice, sharing the fact that we uh, that not every performance is pristine YouTube 4K quality, <laughs> you know what I mean, with studio recording. The other thing that was interesting that I did as an experiment because I wanted like wanted to really record these is I had I was using your mic, man. I used your mic, recorded into a DAW at the same time I was recording the video, so it was perfectly mm-hmm. synced. And I did, I did the compression, I did the EQing, I did the, the nice reverb. And people were like, wow, you've really gotten better. And I'm like, <laughs> that's the thing, man. It's all, it's, it, it, it depends on the room you play in. It depends on the quality of equipment you use. It depends on your knowledge of like knowing how to studio record yourself and, and all these other things. And, I could have even pitch corrected stuff if I wanted to, but I didn't. First of all, I didn't have enough time and that's too much of a hassle and you can't do that in real life, but people do that. That exists. That kind of content exists. So this idea of perfection is becoming more and more absurd. Uh, the farther I get into it. So and, um, it's not worth it. And it's not only it's not worth it. It's like not desirable. People like, the humanness, the error, and all these old recordings. Why are recordings from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, why are they so desirable? Why does the punk movement in the 90s and beyond become desirable? Is we were getting away from perfection. We don't like it. Nowadays, we even add in imperfections, like with these like perfectly the, timed the sample libraries. Vinyl, vinyl uh, crackle. Yeah. Vinyl crackle, warmth. Audio slight distortion, but even on these string samples and these other things, like having them sound a little more human, because we enjoy that. Often now, when um, like younger students produce their stuff, it's like what's missing. Often it's just too. It's like too good. It's like yo, you need to dial this back. Like make something wrong, warp it a little. Like get nah, it out make of something wrong. <laughs> and and often that's like the best decision. Uh, so recently, I've been listening. Back to Kanye's Dark Twisted Fantasy, just like going oh, yeah. going through that. I mean, it's just, it's just like insanely good. What makes it's it ins- good for you? Oh man, it's just it's it's a it's a masterwork. So I think a lot of it has to do, and why this reoccurred to my mind, not just because of recency, is that there's a lot of wrong. There's so many rights, but there's a lot of wrong. Runaway, amazing track. A piano. It's kind of out of tune. It's just ringing. That's just some random upright piano. It's not a Steinway. It's probably a random upright piano that was just on the side of the studio that they use for rehearsals. And it comes in kind of offbeat. It catches you. It didn't come in exactly on the grid. That's important. Like like for people, for fake and fam who aren't really like familiar with studio recording, that's like a bit, there are tools now that you, the quantize function where you can literally even with an audio recording, you can flex the timing of all of, you can flex the timing of the transients to make it land right on the grid, perfectly in Hyper precise. Very precise, like laser point precision, right? 
but he chose our uh, like Kanye chose artistically to just play the dang thing because that's what a musician would do. That's what a human would do. Yeah, I think that that's a really great example. What are some other things that you heard in it? Uh, here, let me just pull up because I'm terrible with like names. It's all good. I don't know the track list either. I just know he got uh Chris Rock up in there in those uh the album cuts, the the skits. <laughs> Power. That's just a great track. Both for Power and All of the Lights. All the Lights all that has lights. uh Rihanna oh and Kid Cudi. Like, songs. The mix on that too. So mix for and again for for our like non-producer friends, it's kind of just like the balancing of elements. You know, do you hear more mm-hmm. guitar? Do you hear more voice? Like where are where are mm-hmm. sounds located? And you're just like mixing all these elements together. The voice isn't the most loud part. There's just like, like there's this like big like drum machine thing. Super loud. It's super present. It pops out. But there's just something about it that kind of like slaps you in the face. That's aggressive. It just reminds me of if literally you were getting like flashed in the face with like really bright lights. And it's sparkly. And there's all this wild extra stuff going on. And yet, when you get into like Runaway, it's a very pure track. When you get into Monster, it's like this dark, aggressive. Love that track. Oh my song. god! It's really Minaj. and like this opening. And so I've been watching. He did Kanye did um kind of like a short film with this album. Mm. It's nice. It's artistic. It just kind of goes through the whole album. But my favorite thing about Runaway, so Runaway, the full version or whatever, is nine minutes. That's not normal. It's not normal in pop land. There is a shorter version for the radio. They're sitting at this elegant table. It's a big mm-hmm. crowd. It's just like, mm-hmm. and they're in a warehouse, but it's a fancy, really brightly lit, long table banquet, mm-hmm. banquet style. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman beside Kanye West <laughs> turns to him. And all throughout this film, it kind of follows this arc. I, I believe it's like Kanye interacting like with, the artistic side of himself, there's this bird, this lady, she's beautiful, dressed up kind of like this fancy bird. And the gentleman beside Kanye West, before the song Runaway comes and turns to him and he he says, do you know she's a bird? And Kanye doesn't respond and just stands (laughs) up. He walks over to this stand-up piano, starts playing the beginning notes of Runaway, just bong, bong, And then a bunch of out of absolute nowhere, a bunch of ballet dancers run in beside this bank. Everyone's still at this banquet hall. And Connie's just standing at this random <sighs> stand-up piano. And these ballet dancers dance the for the rest of the nine minutes. And it's like off to the side, very minimal. It's very pure. It's very ridiculous. People are still sitting at this banquet hall. And yet it's this collection of ballet dancers dancing mm-hmm. to this track. And there's just something about that combination that's just so nice. And I think tying this back into the theme of this episode, that bird, these dancers, these ballet dancers wearing all black, but yet the rest, almost everything else around them is is all white. Mm. Was Kanye interacting with his shadow Mm. and having a conversation with himself about who he is and his artistry? It's great. You've been putting up with my shit just way too long. Yeah, bro. That's a really interesting. See, that's why, man, Dark Twisted Fantasy and like after that, I, I, 
And now with the the divorce, mm. man, man, Kanye, please, please, somebody help Kanye yeah. for real. Really, for real, if you love Kanye and you're near him, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but if you are, <laughs> please help him, okay? I love that, man. Times are tough. <laughs> and we're Dude. out here, we're just, yeah. we're all here trying. So if yeah, there's any man. takeaway from this, have a conversation with the shadow. Have a conversation with your shadow and let the art speak through you.